Hello and welcome to another episode of The Real Gentlemen of Queens. I am your host, Julian Villard. I am your co-host, B. Ski Goyaso. What's happening? We're back with another episode on our new bi-weekly schedule. And we've got a doozy for you guys. We have a we kinda we kinda had a conversation with a big shot. Would you would you say that, Brian, that the person we talked to on this episode was is a big shot by all estimation? A big shot. I have no idea how we got him. I think he's slumming slumming it with us and he'd probably actually be a little angry if he realized how small small potatoes we are it's because he's actually got a kind heart unlike some other people that i'm talking to right now <laughs> i what am i am i not kind-hearted no you're not your your heart is a rotting festering this is my bit of charity is like hanging with you with your tired ass you receive an education every episode and if there's an episode where this is the episode where you're about to get schooled because we're finally Gonna talk about the the patron saint of that white shit. of the podcast that white shit the the the, <laughs> the the greatest Jew who ever lived the most handsome man on the planet Mr. Bob Dylan this is the episode we get to it Brian's a big episode this so he is El Judío Maravilloso this is the guy what what is what does that mean I don't speak that language the marvelous Jew that's right he is the marvelous Jew come on you're supposed to be up on Larry Harlow. That's true. Um, and our guest uh, that we alluded to is the one Mr. Brian Koppelman, uh, showrunner of Billions on Showtime, creator, uh, writer-director of Rounders. Uh, I mean, has his own podcast at the moment. right? Yeah, I mean, he's a legend. He's an absolute legend. Uh, former A&R man that we make reference to. The man has lived like 10 lives, and he is a... he. I, I somehow, I guess in his... Uh, I, COVID, I got COVID to thank that I managed to snag uh, Brian Koppelman as a guest. And we we got to really talk about the entire world of singer-songwriters with him. And he he is a big uh, a big songwriter nerd. So it was great to sit down and talk with him. I I, I was a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. He was hyped for it, too. Oh, yeah. He came with the fire, man. He came, he came in it. You know, he, he didn't come to play. B, BK's not for the play-play. No. No, he is not. A couple uh, bits of housekeeping notes. You may notice that the fidelity on this episode uh, is not up to our usual standards. It's still totally acceptable. But that's because uh, I got a new computer, and in my nervousness, I did not partition the Zoom file. So you're going to hear the entire Zoom mix with the Zoom compression and the Zoom dithering. I apologize to the vast number of audiophiles who listen to the show. Uh, also, if you don't know, you can get this podcast a day early in my Patreon. That's right. Patreon. That's right, Brian. Patreon.com slash Julian Villard. It is $2.50 a month. I have all kinds of content that I post up there every week. Uh, new songs, videos, live streams, you name it. What else? What you got anything to talk to these people about, Brian? I just want to I just want to know what what kind of discipline it takes to constantly be coming up with this content for the Patreon. You have a schedule you got to keep. What uh, how does this work? Bro, it is it's a regiment. You know how like they talk about the money that LeBron puts into his body every year? That's right. and like and like, you know, we're talking about achievers like LeBron, Tom Brady, you know, the greats. You know, your level shit. Exactly. My level of content. That's what I am. I'm a content <laughs> creation great. Well, we really hope you, you enjoyed this episode. We had a blast. It was such a thrill to talk to Mr. Koppelman. And without further ado, here is our conversation about the genre of singer-songwriters with Brian Koppelman. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Real Gentlemen of Queens. I am your host, Julian Ballard. I am your co-host, Biski Goyaso. What's happening? And I am very excited. I am... I'm gonna dare I say like the most 
level of fanboy that I get for this episode because I feel like we have a real get this time. I mean, all our guests are amazing, but we're getting not only like a mega talent, but someone who comes from a legacy of music awareness and music appreciation and fostering of talent. So I'm I'm just super excited. Uh, please welcome to the podcast, the uh, showrunner of Billions, the creator of Rounders and Writers of Ocean 11. Did you do 11, 12, 13? One of whichever, the- Whichever, 13, but you can say whichever one, it doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter. You <laughs> no, did 13. them all as far as I'm concerned. And former A&R man, of among amongst among many things, uh, Brian Koppelman. Brian, thank you for for be doing this. Thank you for taking some time. Completely psyched to do it, man. This it's is a, what I, I, I mean. Nothing I like better than sitting around debating the merits of songwriters and songs. It's like one of my favorite things to just do with my friends. So uh, can't you know? This is great. Yeah, and I know on um, you you like you write songs too. Like, let's be clear about that, right? I do. Um, and, but, you know, I, I write songs as a very serious hobby. Right. Uh, I, um, but over the pandemic time, um, Amy, my wife, made sure to bring uh, one of my guitars with me when we were leaving the city for a little while. And, um, and it really brought me so much. It just brought me a little measure of peace, you know? And, and then as a storyteller, if I'm, sitting around playing, but just because of the way I think I start writing, you know what I mean? It's just the way that I am. I'm not a great musician, but um, stories come into my head or characters or ideas for songs. And then I started writing with some other people. And then I ended up getting a cut on like a pretty big, uh, like a uh, artist's record. And um, it's just been a pretty intense ride with the songwriting, but luckily I don't have to support myself with it. Cause you're, other you're like, does. I, you know, you kind of blow my mind with, and the more that I learn about you and your sort of history, and obviously your family's history, like kind of what your father's right. done. And I feel like in other people, I, I would sort of write them off being sort of like, you know, oh, like this person's getting out of their lane or like they're going too far. Like this guy should just make television. He shouldn't write songs. But it's kind of, it's looking at your career. It's like you've lived four lifetimes creatively. It's it's bonkers. It's, re it's really nuts. The fact that you, you know, like, it's you know i i know that you have like law degrees so like there's i did that, have a law degree yeah. which is ridiculous and then you also worked as an army and you also have written for tv and film and you also have a podcasting thing it's kind of like well you know, let's not forget that i'm in my 50s man so i'm old you know i've done a lot of things because i'm old we're, but we're, uh, we're no I'm, spring chickens either I'm, you know, I'm, I I'm 50 i'm 54 <laughs> years old but no i got babies. started i got started really young and and also i'll say that i've a couple things. One, I, I and I, I always hope, I know there are always people listening, especially podcasts like this, people who are this enthusiastic about songs and music and want to spend their time thinking about it. A lot of people uh, are of the belief, no matter how old they are, that like the opportunities to shift gears, or the opportunity to follow their curiosity has passed them by or their passion. And so like one of the things for me is when something scares me like that, because I have those thoughts too, man, you know, like I sure. completely have that thought of, uh, well, it's one thing to come up with an idea for a chorus or a verse. It's another thing to play it for anybody. But part of what I have always felt is that when something feels scary in the creative realm, I chase it down. Uh, I will risk humiliation. In fact, I'll almost go looking for it because what I don't want is to ever allow the artistic impulse to die. And I never want to give in to that fear 
because who knows what lies at the other end of it? I mean, I started really, even though I said the pandemic thing, the truth is I started writing songs in a, in a, in a really committed way, probably 12 years ago. And um, I wasn't very good at it probably at first, you know, I know that. And I'm, I'm still not sure how, how good at it I am, but I do it all the time. And if you start fitting that stuff in and you make it a priority for yourself, then it's like, well, okay, uh, this is just a part of my creative journey, whether it ends up being something that anybody cares about or not. And then the way that I started getting rights with other people is I, I put, I'd written and written and written songs and then none of them, you know, I would demo them sometimes or find sure. someone in Nashville, do a cheap demo. Right. But I never did anything. And then I wrote a song that I kind of liked. I was like, I think this might be like decent. And I forced myself to put it online. Uh, because I was like, well, share the song. And then um, a kind of notable person like shared it and said really nice things about it, who I didn't really know. Mm -hmm. And then every time I posted a song, some songwriter has been like, let's write one together. And I've just done it. And it's terrifying at first. Julian, I, it's totally terrifying. Well, I like, completely you understand because I mean, you, you're, first of all, you're, you are a great writer. Like you've written multiple things in multiple mediums. Thank you. But the thing that I, that I find so inspiring is like, you know, you have achieved a level of success. And most people that I have met in my journey that have achieved a level of success are very, very cautious not to be humiliated, not to expand themselves. You're just very like self-realized. The fact that you're like, fuck it, I'm going to jump into this deep end of something that like you, and also someone- We all, we all, we all die, man. Like, so- That's like, 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 like you, to me, and you know, it's Dylan. We're going to talk about Dylan, you know. Whoa, whoa, wait a not minute. Not being busy. <laughs> No, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Wait, how many minutes in? We this, is this our first mention this of Dylan? This is why he's on the show because he's going to drop Dylan before I do. That's why oh, he's right. Damn it. Yeah, I, are no, you saying I can't you know, Dylan today. Them's not busy being born; is busy dying. Exactly. Like and and uh, which is just to say, look, nobody likes being humiliated, but if you're not afraid of it, uh, it allows you to discover things. I think all this stuff is theory, right? I'm just like Springsteen talks about it, you're just trying to pull stuff out of the ether somehow. You're trying to tap into the part of yourself that feels the most alive. And I decided a long time, a very supportive family. My my wife is like along for the, she's an artist, she makes movies, she's written three novels uh, that are all great and have all been published. And she, from the beginning, the two of us are like really ride or die together. And so if I, I have her in my corner and always have, it's like, well, what's, why not try this stuff? And, um, and like I say, it was like 10 years of writing songs before I really showed anybody anything. Sure. And so at a certain point, it's like, well, I, all right, I think this one's good enough to like show people. And then you just get in the groove of exposing the stuff in a way. And, um, and I think it goes to any discipline, any discipline you're interested in trying. There's this great book um, by Philippe Petit, who was the subject of that documentary. Of course, about yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But he has this book where he talks about life on the being, life on the wire, and 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 what it takes to to risk that. And I think it's a great book about being an artist. Were you, How far into your screenwriting were you, career were you when you started uh, ten, songwriting? Ten, maybe ten years or something like that. Wow. Maybe more. I was just. I remember. I know where I was. I took a month. Um, our family went somewhere for a month, in, I think 2008. And um, we were in this house and there wasn't a lot to do. And one morning I just woke up with the whole song lyric. I always journal in the mornings, Brian. Yeah. 
I do morning pages like Julia Cameron talks about in the artist's way. Mm. And one more, and I don't, you know, when you're writing artist way pages, you're just letting the pen go and you're not censoring yourself. But this one day I just woke up with an entire song lyric in my head. That kind of thing doesn't happen to me. I don't wake up with huge movie scenes. I mean, sometimes I'll wake up with an idea, but this was like, I, I woke up with um, a whole, a whole lyric and I, I wrote it down and I was like, well, that's fucking weird. Um, and then I looked at the next day and I, and I thought like, well, there's something there. What is that about? And then I just like started going. I mean, you know how, how that stuff goes um, and it goes in bursts. So. I mean, I just, I applaud the, the willingness to be vulnerable. And, you know, as someone who's like, I find it every year, it gets harder and harder to remain vulnerable. But you do it. You do it on the, at the beginning of pandemic, man. The way you embrace I'm Brian, I don't know your work as as well, but Julian, I mean that your your ability to, you know, the way you would go out on Instagram and just do those ridiculous request shows and yes, fuck around with those people. Yes, ridiculous indeed. Yeah, <laughs> but but the fact that you would just go play mm. and with everybody, sure. I thought it was awesome, man. And and at risk of making yourself look absurd, I still you had feel to. guilty that I didn't know your Billy Joel song. That's I still carry that with me. Like I go at a night, I go to bed at night and it, and it weighs on me that like I, I fucked Koppelman's request. Like he's never, and, the, and this is this is my way to make it up. Like, I feel like we're coming, it's becoming whole now that we get to talk. Oh, about what did it. I ask you to play Down Easter Alexa? And you no, didn't you know didn't. It? You wanted like a real, like you, you, of course, being you, you like, you chose a real deep cut. And then I just was like, ah, uh, how about I do Down Easter Alexa? You're like, that's fine. Oh, that's so funny. Well, I love that song. I love Down Easter Alexa. So switching so. gears uh, and, and, on, and anybody, like, obviously, if you're listening and you don't follow Brian, he's an incredible follow. Like, it's just, I, I, I love the level of sort of, care that you take in terms of talking about writing and talking about inspiration, which in the sort of world of the Twitter sphere and the internet is rare because it's usually just, you know, unmitigated bile. All right. So let's get into it. Let's talk. We're going to try. We're going to attempt. It, it might be a fool's errand, but we're going to attempt to try to define the genre of the singer songwriter. That's what we're going to try and get into. So let's jump into it. As always with the podcast, we've got our categories. Um, which is uh, we've got the quintessential singer-songwriter uh, song, the outlier singer-songwriter song, and the goat singer-songwriter song. Um, we're going to start this off with one of Brian's picks, Brian Koppelman, BK, as he's known on the podcast. Um, Brian, what are we listening to? Can't talk over this line. This is uh, the song America, written by Paul Simon and sung by Simon and Garfunkel. And if, if it weren't for Bob Dylan, I think you could really make the argument that Paul Simon is the great American songwriter. And his music somehow is as vital and relevant right now as it was when he wrote it. I know it's very hard to talk over something like this. It is hard. I can't talk over this. It's and it's interesting thing. that you picked both Dylan and Paul Simon. Because that's one of those guys where, like, if, if you hadn't picked 
we don't like to repeat, uh, you know, artists. You know what I mean? So since you picked Dylan and Paul Simon, neither Julian and I could pick uh, uh, Dylan and Paul Simon. But like this, Paul Simon's one of those guys that I usually throw in Julian's face when he's like, Bob Dylan's the greatest. And I'm like, ah, I'll take Paul Simon over, over, over Bob Dylan. Well, I went this year and I saw Paul, last year I saw Paul Simon's last tour at the Garden and it is incredible. I mean, every single song is um, one of the best songs ever written. You yeah. Know? And, and, and you're both musicians, so in a, in a way that I'm not, so you understand the sophistication of what Paul Simon does, right? right? Dylan is coming out of a tradition that that is really like following um, these blues artists. It's like country folk and blues. Like it's not just the hobo music because he's also following like the Mississippi <laughs> Sheiks. No, because Dylan is also yeah, following sure. the Mississippi Sheiks, right? He's also following um, um, uh, Lead Belly. It's right. a huge influence on Dylan. And what they are, are for Dylan, it's people's songs. The songs and melodies, the people song, uh, that he then um, adapted some of those melodies and came out of a, a, a sort of passed along tradition. And Paul Simon was really um, an incredibly inventive songwriter. Yes. Uh, he, would, he was inventive in terms of uh, rhythmically, always. Sure. He was inventive chordally. You know, Dylan has always been inventive melodically and lyrically, but Dylan is not quarterly inventive. It's just not what he's interested in. Yeah, Whereas right. Paul Simon is super interested in that stuff, right? Yeah, sure. And, but a song like America to me, you know, I'll never forget um, after 9-11, the 9-11 concert when David Bowie, the first, the way it opened was David Bowie playing America. And he just sat on the floor with like a drum machine and played America. It's one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life and in its moment. And I remember hearing the song a new again in, in in that in that in in that second in that moment and feeling like Paul Simon was able to capture and, and this is the thing about singer songwriter song he's able to capture a feeling an idea something you can barely grab onto about what it means to be young and that moment when hope and resignation meet. Uh, and not just for you and the person you're with, but for the whole state of the world. You're almost able to contemplate death at the same moment you're contemplating this beginning. And he does it with such an evocative, in such an evocative way, right? With the cigarettes, with the pie, with uh, the weather, with the bus. And you... Uh, I still feel like I have this idealized version of these people in my mind and their ill-fated love, but also more than that, uh, this sense of possibility that America promises and then the reality underneath that in the way in which it falls short. And that Paul Simon can do that in a Three and a half minute pop song blows Bonkers. my mind. Yeah, and I, I think that's very apt. And I think you hit on something that I want to highlight that I think I would like raise my hand is like, okay, this feels like it's key to the genre. And it's this idea of taking larger concepts and taking larger ideas and making them personal. And it's yes. that's sort of what defines, I think, the singer-songwriter genre as opposed to this person is a great songwriter. Um, it's this idea that it becomes like an impressionistic painting, right? Where the the hype the emotions and the and and that's where i think it's like uh the, it, the line gets very blurry but but you that's a very apt way of saying is that you're listening to paul simon in especially and i think he's a great example because of you know the graduate because of what he means to late 60s culture 
kind of outside of the whole Woodstock thing. Like, I mean, my parents, you know, my parents who are like died in the wool baby boomers. Paul Simon is a big deal. You know, the graduate is a big right. deal. It, it sums up their youth to them. And um, I think the fa- I think that's a key thing I wanted to bring up is that it's 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 a personal genre as opposed yeah, to like this is a songwriter, a political songwriter or making a statement. It's a it's a searching genre, too, where you're 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 searching for some kind of an answer, I think, very often in in singer songwriter songs. I mean, sometimes they're confessional, but um, yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's part of it. And there's some tradition of, of a person, an acoustic guitar that you can play this stuff that way. Like Paul Simon's later records, I don't think like Graceland, which is to me, one of the greatest albums ever made. It's not really a singer songwriter's record. Like I thought about boy in the bubble for this, but it's not really a singer songwriter's record. No, it's a record that's uh, made millions off of the backs of different cultures, but you know, whatever. <laughs> what's that, you know, who, what's that? Who cares? You know what? Uh, but yes, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to ar- argue politics <laughs> with you. I, I'm, I don't disagree with you, but the, great record, the albums great that he made with with Simon and Garfunkel, and then the first couple of Paul Simon albums were real singer songwriter. Of course, no, I agree. I think I'm totally poking fun. Um, let's move on to Beesky's uh, quintessential singer songwriter pick. We're moving to a different uh, different area of the country for this one. This is my shit, bro. The fact that you the fact that you fuck with this always blows my mind a little bit. I, he just yodeled onto confusion. Confusion. You and I both know it's only the warm glow of wine. Brian Coyazo, what are we listening to? Who are we listening to? Um, well, I just, I just think it, I should preface this by saying it's, you know, the um, the tens the tens of people that listen to this podcast uh, are well aware <laughs> the tens. of my storied rivalry with Julian and how I like to bust his chops about Bob Dylan and and how he's, you know, obviously a great songwriter, but, uh, you know, uh, oft, oftentimes uh, he sounds uh, quite peculiar uh, in his singing voice. One would not say that he... Uh, has a traditionally pleasing uh, singing voice, but uh, so ever the hypocrite, I decided to uh, put forth as my quintessential pick, Mr. Towns Van Zandt, uh, an amazing songwriter who sounds even worse than Bob Dylan uh, when he sings. But depends I think it's on the a Dylan fantastic record. song. Depends on the Dylan record. It depends on that, right? It depends on the Dylan record. <laughs> but Towns Van Zandt is uh, is not singing any operas for you either. But he's a a, a brilliant writer. Uh, this is the song "Be Here to Love Me." Uh, I believe this is from the Our Mother the Mountain album from 1969. And, you know, Towns Van Zandt is just, um, he's one of these very heralded uh, singer-songwriters, kind of a songwriter-songwriter, much in that um, more in the country, Nashville, you know, folky, uh, finger-picking tradition. but this is just a, a song that I picked as like the, to, to me, this is the, the quintessential singer songwriter tune for me, because this is just, it's so, it feels so much of that, of that vibe. You know, it's, uh, it's got all the hallmarks. It's got the acoustic guitar. It's got the folky vibe. Um, Why the lyrics are very liter- literate, you know, it's, it's, a, you know, it's very, it's, it's got, it's got a very poetic um, approach. He's talking, why, you know. Why would you say that Towns Van Zandt is a country artist as opposed to a singer songwriter artist? I mean, he's from Texas and his circle was a bunch of, you know, I, mean, I think all of his guys straddled that line between folky. Right. And yeah. Country. I mean, I, I think that that's right. I'm you a know, huge... so it was like him and Guy Clark and, you know, there were 
mentoring a young Steve Earle and, you know, and Rodney Crowell and that whole crew. If you've ever seen Heartworn Highways, which I would recommend to I have seen that actually. Yeah, documentary great. about all that whole crew of people. It's pretty amazing. And I they took it. songwriting really seriously. Um, That's the thing, right? Like I, I have, to, have you heard that great, that album with Towns Van Zandt, Guy Clark and Steve Earle? It's like the three of them together live at the Bluebird. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's just, it's just fantastic. And it was the three of them, you know, one by one, just pulling out these songs. Like they're just some like, nobody's at a, at a, at a open and mic then, night, you know. And, you know, and, and then mean. Steve Earle's done albums of both of their songs. He has. That's, Steve that's Earle right. did an album called Towns and then he did an album called Guy when that's each right. one died. And, exactly. and um, they're great because uh, if you love Steve Earle, I love Steve Earle. I do. He, he really, uh, he really knows how to sing them. And yeah, you know, he played on Guy Clark's first record and everything when he was 17 and they were all kind of hanging out together. That's incredible. This is my quintessential pick. And I just kind of wanted to throw a curveball in because I feel like, you know, I could have picked James Taylor. I could have picked, uh, I don't know, but, but I wanted to go with someone modern that I think actually kind of throws back to this. And it's an artist that I'm actually kind of completely obsessed with lately, more and more. You are so smart then, and you're talking and go. My softest red scarf, warm in your arms. So uh, we are listening to the one, Laura Beatrice Marling. Uh, known as Laura Marling. This is off her uh, second record called I Speak Because I Can and the record is, uh, the song is called Goodbye England Covered in Snow. And uh, anecdotally, I was signed to EMI at the same time as, uh, as Laura and um, I uh, I was I just kind of was blown away by the first time I, I heard her. I was signed in 2007 in England. Very romantic time for me to move to London and experience uh, you know that sort of 18 month uh, ride on the uh, carousel of fame. But she had a deal and she put out her first record. This is her second record. Her first record. She was 17. So she's 30. is she a Brit also? She's a Brit, which is crazy when you hear that voice because I mean you can hear the Britishness in it, but there is a maturity in there. I mean she must be 19 when she recorded this or 20. And I've always likened to her as almost like the closest thing that I would think to what it would be like to experience hearing Joni Mitchell, you know, at that time. And I, I don't know if any of you guys are hip to her stuff, but it's it's also very, she's very entrenched in that Laurel Canyon sound. That's kind of her whole deal. And like a lot of modern artists, sometimes it gets, you know, I feel like she's original enough. You know, she's not doing something like The Strokes or The White Stripes. It's very, or, or even Mumford & Sons. It's very authentic. And the language of her lyrics. It's not faux folk. It's real folk. But she comes from that scene. You know, she's in that that world, you know, like I'm sure Carrie Mulligan has been at all her gigs. Um, Wait, I, I can't just sit here on a podcast and let you rag on the White Stripes without saying. Oh, come on. Come on, Brian. Jack White's a genius, dude. You don't need to make, you don't need to put up appearances on this podcast, Brian. Jack right? White's a fucking genius, man. I'll never forget hearing that album the first time, his first album. This is why you were a good A&R man, why we'd be terrible I mean, A&R man. I, the first time I heard that fucking record, I lost my entire mind. I could not believe what that guy was able to do. Like, I mean, to me, I don't, I, I mean, granted, he's no Laura Marling, but, uh, 
You don't have to throw me a bone. No, I mean, I, I feel like that's something. I that's wasn't. Something. I wasn't, sir. <laughs> I was that was called no shade. That was yeah. shade, Julian. Get hit. Whoa, 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 whoa. throwing you a bone. No, but I, I think that it's hard, too, you know, as someone, and I think that's, you know, as someone who, as a songwriter, like you get, you know, when you're that close to it, it's like me asking you to appreciate. I mean, I'm sure you can, but it's like, it's probably harder for you to appreciate somebody else's films or somebody else's script than it is. Or maybe not. It was. No, in the music thing, it was much harder for me. Interesting. When I got into this, I totally, no, I, I have a huge, generous spirit toward people who try to do this. In music, I, I, uh, I would hate other A&R people's stuff and I promised myself when I switched and got to do this that I would never let myself engage in that shit and I haven't I if I see a great thing I'm just like oh I'm so into it. you know I I allow myself I mean to that's how it away. should be and I think that's one of the kind of goals of this podcast is like we use you know because of all the I don't even know what it is about how music attaches to people's identities, but we use these kind of volatile conversations to get at weird shit. That's and Laura Marling is great, by the way. I was uh, fucking around about. She's uh, listening. She's she's one of our saying, she's saying that Jack White <laughs> isn't the thing, but no, Laura Marling's great. I mean, she's a great songwriter. I, I, for me, Laura Marling, she feels like she is the closest in terms of what I would call like an authentic representation of that era in the modern age. I don't know where you guys sit with it, but like. I just think that there's something about her that she feels like a real throwback and her music and her lyric is, it's like so authentically personal, but not in a way that's like opaque or vague to me. It feels very, um, I don't know. I just, and like, I just feel like I wanted to give a bones throw instead of, because obviously there's so much lineage with this genre and there, so much of it comes from this, this fertile period of like these 10 years where like all this stuff that, that I, I, I don't want to be one of those people who say, oh, it used to be better when, you know, these, these songs were great and it's different. I, there aren't people writing great songs now, but uh, it, it, she's the, for me at least, she, when I listen to her music, I kind of put her in that genre and I, I feel like she can hang with the best of those, those giants who are not maybe giants. I don't know. You know, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say she's better than Bob Dylan. I'm not going to say it. So yeah, so uh, all right, let's move along. Let's move along to our outlier category. And again, these are uh, categories that are um, people who kind of push push the limits of the genre. And we've got Brian's pick, uh, which I will boost up here with my incredibly advanced technology. Wait, so Laura Marling was your quintessential. Laura Marling is my quintessential pick. I just want not to- your outlier. That's your quintessential. I think when so. you think of singer songwriters, <laughs> you think of Laura Marling as I the quintessential. That. I have to ask it because. Well, as I understood the categories. Well, okay. So yes, <laughs> I I would not say that if you if you stopped me on the street and you had a vial full of COVID and you were going to shoot it into my mouth and you said, listen, I want to know who your quintessential singer-songwriter is, the first two words out of my mouth would not be Laura Marley. You are correct, Brian Koppelman. But, but I just felt like we needed to include something relevant and something modern, right? Because it's like, we're just going to be choosing a bunch of you know, people that we know that know are great. I, I don't know. I just, and I find that hard. I, I really want to find modern, great songwriters that, you know, I just feel like so much of modern music songwriting is, is uh, a secondary kind of thing to image and production and affectation and positioning. Whereas like, I want to find those artists that, um, you know, like oh. they're great songwriters and they're like, it's not like I have a thing, like even guys, even guys where the, it's like we're supposed to think they're great songwriters. There's something about her music that I just feel so effortless and free and refreshing. Yeah, I would just say if you would have been saying, let's find I could the way I interpreted quintessential was Paul Simon, because I, I interpreted it as 
just not quite the goat, but but someone who just would stand in for this idea of what is a great song. Yes, a I great think songwriter is Paul Simon. Because well, because really, I mean, there are so many young songwriters yes. who are incredible now, and um, like Jason Isbell, you know, and yes. and and for me, Jason Isbell, that guy is as good as anybody writing songs, but his career is still, he's still not Paul Simon at this stage of Correct. his life. But because mm-hmm. I, I, and I, re- I wrestled with San Jason, but then I thought, well, the truth of the matter is it's Paul Simon. And I think you, know you probably mean? did. You actually probably have to beat this podcast more than the host just did. So I, I do bounce. Sure, because Joni would be like, if you were going to do John, like Marling, well, it's Joni's. Well, like, I know I'm going to talk, but I was like, what, am I going to put a James Taylor tune on here? You know, we all know who James Taylor is. I got to talk about James sure. Taylor. You know, we got to talk about, sure. uh, Ben Taylor's dad. You don't want to sure. hear some crazy stuff. Play, to be go to a, for the room. Exactly. Exactly. Go 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 to a Ben Taylor gig. I I opened for Ben Taylor years ago, and I swear to God, the man. It's like Harper Simon. Literally, you cannot tell the difference. It's like you're in. I was in the other room. Like he doesn't sound like his mom at all. It's all no. like his dad. It's 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 bonkers. It's bonkers. He, he like covers like Kendrick Lamar tunes. Wasn't he like he, oh, does he? He, he used to do like a live cover of like "Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe." Yeah, he's he's good. It's just, but you're like every time you're like he sounds exactly like. Who was it who used to cover uh, "I Need Love" before that was like a hip? Th- Luca Bloom. Oh really? You ever hear this Luca Bloom cover of "I Need no. Love" from like the the "I Need Earth. Love" Donna Summers? "I Need Love." No, LL's "I Need Love." Oh, oh, by, <laughs> amazing <laughs> by Luca Bloom, who is like this Irish folk singer, and uh, it's a great version of "I Need yeah. Love." If you guys have never heard that, so he's he like put a melody to it. Yeah. I need love. And he's Irish, so it's like right. this super, it's great, actually. He's not that. fucking around. He's not doing it to be funny. He right, means right. it. So it's really, I mean, you're love probably it. too young for LL's song, too, but anyway. No, no, no. no, no, no. Here. We're, 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 we're older babies. than we look. We're, we're, we're uh, yes. you know, we have children. We're, uh, I I um, yes. All right, so moving along, after Brian Koppelman has humiliated me and, and, <laughs> and basically broken my podcast, I'm going to continue now with the outlier pick. This is Brian's outlier pick, and I want him to discuss the awesome relevance of uh, someone I might refer to as Mrs. Michael Penn, but I'm sure you have another name for her. I mean, yeah, in this day and age, you cannot possibly refer to her by the, her husband's name, who's Listen. less accomplished than she Listen. is. Mm-hmm. What if I was Romeo and Black Jeans is still one of the greatest songs of the 80s. I stand by no myth. I stand by no myth. No myth is incredible. I agree. This is Amy Mann singing a song called I've Had It about a gig gone bad. Oh, interesting. They don't give you any hope, but they'll leave you plenty of road. Produced by the great John Bryan. Is this a John Bryan production? This is a... Yeah, you'll hear. Listen to this. Dan came in from Jersey. You hear yeah. the Glockenspiel play the Born to Run thing on New Jersey? Oh! Vintage. Go, if you can roll back 20 seconds, 15 right, right. seconds. It's, you can hear the John Bryan touch here. When Dan came in from Jersey for the gig. Listen. Clever. Yeah. So to me, Amy Mann is one of the greatest lyricists who ever lived and also an incredible melodist. And her album, Whatever, is to me one of the top 50 or 100 albums of my lifetime. And um, she's an outlier in this because uh, 
she's lumped in maybe with this certain kind of music from the 80s or with the beginnings of, you know, the end of New Wave, uh, because Till Tuesday, the way that they dressed. But when she started making these solo albums, people did recognize that she was one of the great writers. You know, she's the kind of person, if you get 10 songwriters or writers together and you ask them who the best modern songwriters are or who they wish they could write like, you will hear the name Amy Mann said all the time. And um, there's nobody who doesn't think that Amy Mann is like a top, top level professional songwriter. I mean, she's someone Elvis Costello has collaborated with. And if you think about the other people Elvis Costello has collaborated with, it's like Burt Bacharach, Bob Dylan's lyrics, um, and Paul McCartney, you know? Right. And um, and so, and to me, Amy is completely unsentimental. She is willing to cut so close to the bone. She's so smart and she's ruthless about melody and the math of songwriting. There is yes. not a wasted line with Amy Mann. There is not a melody that doesn't work, and and yet, and her yet her songs are highly emotional, incredibly sad, and um, uh, you know she became famous after, really famous after this album because of the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, uh, but but for my money, whatever is her masterpiece. So these the songs that are in the, the in um, Magnolia do not come from this record. Right, they come from the record two after it, gotcha. and one of them is, as you know, a Harry Nilsson song. But the other ones, one is a Harry Nilsson song right. that she covered, her version of it. But the other song she wrote for that, for that movie. Because that's what's, I think, most interesting to me about her is that, like, how, like, she's, when is, what is this record, 95, 96, something like that? When this or earlier, comes? 93, maybe. Which is bonkers to think that this record and with this sound and with John Bryan producing it, you know, he's like, I mean, the first I kind of caught wind of him was, 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 was like sort of out of the jellyfish adjacent world of like the Greys. Like John Bryan's not any. Well, Buddy Judge, but Buddy Judge from the Greys mm -hmm. is um, in the first verse of that song. She says, if Buddy ever comes, we can get this off the ground. He was a oh, bass wow. player. Buddy oh, Judge was Amy's bass player. Wow. Um, and Dear Friend before the Greys. Yeah, I mean, so, so like. 91. Yeah, 91. So, I mean, that's, that's crazy to me because like, you know, Amy Mann yeah. to me is someone who obviously she comes to notoriety, like with all these songs from Magnolia and then I, into the 2000s, she kind of becomes an indie darling, but here she is, you know, post till Tuesday, post, you know, Voices Carry, which is the big hit. But then like, it's like 14 years earlier, she's making these yeah. kind of records, which still kind of sound borderline modern, you yeah. know? It's because John Bryan's influence in, you know, music, but really film and TV has- They been influenced each other. I mean, they were boyfriend and girlfriend for a long time. Oh, John really? Bryan and Amy, yeah. And so they were coming up with this sound. I remember I was around them then, and um, they were going back and forth playing these old records for each other. She was playing him Zombies records. He was playing her other records. And they were talking about these soundscapes. And John was obviously playing every instrument and knew all this stuff. Right. But it was really a joint discovery. And then obviously John is a genius and, and also, and so it was an amazing thing that there was this moment that they came together to be able to create this work. Yeah, that's wild. That's, I didn't realize the timeline was that it's that, you know, so, you know, that gives, you know, whatever, uh, you know, okay, maybe she's not Mrs. Michael Penn. Maybe she is Amy Mann. I, I will, I will, I will give up. Well, she had hits before Michael and after Michael is right. all I would say. And I like Michael. Michael scored one of my movies. I love him. He's brilliant, but I'm I'm not I'm not going with the Mrs. Uh, Michael Penn bullshit. I am going down with you're Romeo. twice you're twice smote now by the compliment. He's just shutting you down, son. Listen, I, this is I, I'm my favorite to... podcast guest to date. 
Thank you. Romeo Just Blackheath is, is, is like, is incredible. That, it, Perfect. That is, it is an all-time 80s jam, and, and, and also deeply influenced by uh, Bob Dylan, might, might I say. All right, so let's move on <laughs> to uh, my man B-Ski's uh, outlier pick, uh, which, I, uh, you know, he's actually, he's made the podcast before this uh, in a selection. I'm trying to think of what episode did we have him on. Has he? Circle around the park hands in silence watch the evil back the sky brian Coyazo, what are we listening to who are we listening to we're listening to the late great mr jeff buckley uh from his not completed second album um sketches for my sweetheart the drunk this song is called the sky is a landfill and I recognize that, uh, I guess I've got the cushion of calling this my outlier pick because this is definitely not singer-songwritery. Um, but there is something that happens with this song and a lot of my favorite kind of music is, is, is something that I, I don't get at first and I listen to it and, I th- and, I, and I'll tell myself, I know there's something to this, uh, but right now it just feels really angular and obtuse and just fucking weird and then I keep listening to it and, and and keep trying and then one day something something clicks with me and this is one of those tunes where I just think everything about it the lyric is just incredible poetry to me um the the the, the melody the arrangement the production of it I just think it's just so freaking bonkers that it blows my mind um so but mostly I picked this as my Obviously, as an outlier, because this doesn't fit the traditional mold of what we would consider singer songwritery. Um, but I just think the, the 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 heady space that he's coming with the you know the, the lyrical approach here, I think, is is what made me include it on a singer songwriter episode. You know, shit like you know this this way of the lyrics says this way of life is so devised to snuff out the mind that moves, moving with grace. The men despise and women have learned to lose. Throw off your shame or, of being a slave to the system. It's, I don't know, the sky, you know, even just the, the imagery and the symbolism of saying the sky is a landfill, it just, it's just, it, it blows my mind. Brian Koppelman, were you like, were you around for like the Buckley phenomenon in New York? Yeah, I saw him at Shanae with Gary Lucas playing guitar. Oh, gotcha. um, and, uh, and I knew Tim Buckley's work, you sure, know, of course. Um, and uh, who was a folk singer, I think. Uh, I was never the biggest Jeff Buckley. Oh, interesting. Like, I, I wasn't, I, like, I completely get it. And I know why people love him. And I understand the romance of it. And, um, but the songs don't, exactly what you were talking about, Brian, like, the, there's an impenetrability to what he does that just, I've never in my life reached for a Jeff Buckley record to put it on. I understand the way that it moves people. I don't, and I understand why, and I, I, I recognize this feeling, but I don't find myself singing those. I don't walk around singing those melodies. Mm-hmm. Um, they're odd and angular. Like you said, they don't right. quite, um, I have no, uh, it's not like certain people where I'm like, well, that guy's a fraud. I don't think that at all. It just doesn't hit my, it doesn't sort of hit off of whatever my tuning fork is in a way sure. that, makes an appealing sound for me. I, I don't know why that is, but I'm just not, um, I just don't, 
like I say, you know, I make playlists all the time. I listen to music when I write, I put, you know, music in all the stuff that I do. And I don't find myself, I just don't find myself reaching for it. Whereas, you know, the artist who's your, I won't say it, but the artist who's your goat, that's one of the greatest people. I get that, I couldn't get that more. And, and right, you're sure. quintessential. And I find this is an outlier, right? Nothing like those other two people write melodies that you just grab onto right away. They right. both, in fact, wanted you to, you can get more out of it the more time you listen. But though both Towns and, and the person you picked as your goat uh, uh, are immediately rewarded, don't you think? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, they wanted you to hear their stuff the first time. Right. And you know what, I, I, I suppose what, what, <sighs> What got Buckley the inclusion, or this in this song in particular, into this is that there is a certain element of like uh, uh, of, of of literacy that 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 comes with this genre. Like, Love you know, it. Yep. Like a guy like a Leonard Cohen or a Bob Dylan, or like you 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 you're this is like some collegiate reading level shit. <laughs> and um, there's there's something about a song like "This Guy Is a Landville that kind of that kind of scratches that itch, where it just you know it lets me you know a, a lot of the stuff I I think is. Um, you know, maybe, maybe like, like you said, doesn't kind of hit my tuning fork in a way that, well, I don't want to, like you said, I don't want to give away what. It's like the way you're, but it's weird, right? Even as you're saying this, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about uh, it, Outlier and I was really, the way I was processing it was like a lesson. I think Jeff Buckley totally makes sense. Like someone who maybe not everybody really knows, but really an outlier is like the story of OJ by Jay-Z. <laughs> like, like to me, that's doing, like when you read those lyrics, I'm like, well, Story of OJ in a way is a better way. Uh, that's modern singer songwriter. Yeah, music. sure, sure. And well, when you talk about the people of color, black folk aren't necessarily singer songwriters. I mean, it might be because they came at it from a different musical idea, not just with an acoustic guitar. But if I hear Story of OJ, I'm like, well, that's the most profound song to me of the last bunch of years. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, and uh, and isn't that sort of like what Bob Dylan led to sure. in a certain way? It, it's all if we're drawing that line, right? Like that easily could have been the outlier pick that I would have played and not sung along to, but right. uh, I certainly would have uh, uh, played it. I mean, I can't even drive around and blast it in my car because people will think I'm singing along to it. <laughs> I can maybe move my head, but then I have to really point so they know that the mouth isn't moving when I'm moving my head. <laughs> Um, to that song. But the truth is that to me is like, as you were talking about Buckley, I'd really just started thinking about Jay-Z yeah, and how Jay-Z cool. might be like the great singer songwriter of this age in a or Kendrick, you mentioned Kendrick, like, right. I mean, that's, a, you well, know, Frank Ocean actually, like, it, yeah. you know, uh, Frank Ocean is a, is a great, cause I, I do think going, it's, it's, it's that idea of sort of where the narrative and the larger concepts sort of meet the personal, right? Yeah. And like I'm, I'm not a fanatic for Frank Ocean though. I, though, though, though I love it and I get it. And, and that's to me, like maybe, maybe if I expanded my own head in the definition as you guys are asking for it, it's like, perhaps that's an area where it's like, those are really, they're doing that now. Maybe not the singing part so much, but it, but it still is that thing, you know? No, you- like Frank Ocean is singing. You arguably, you did the assignment. We're, we're, we're betraying our own rules here. You're, you're, no, no, it's no, no. Outliers, no, I don't think you are. I mean, I think, no, I think what Brian is saying is really like great about, 
No, I just think you got it backwards, maybe, Julian, in terms that's of what's quick. That's true. All right. What's the outlier? Laura Marling was your outlier. Okay. That's all. That just moving, got flipped. Moving along. Moving along <laughs> in the podcast. Categories. This is my yeah. outlier selection. Uh, here we go. Uh, I would feel very remiss not to include this man's music in any conversation about songwriting, period. Um, deep. There's three people. There's three people in my life that if I met them, I would have a very, I don't think I could react properly. Penny from Inspector Gadget. Penny from Inspector Gadget, who's not real. Um, (laughs) Bob Dylan, Stephen Sondheim, and this man right here. Uh, We are listening to uh, Mr. Randy Newman of the Newman legacy, of the Newman family. Nephew of uh, and cousin of Oscar-winning composers. He's an Oscar-winning composer himself, but also an incredible songwriter, singer-songwriter. This is from the album Good Old Boys, which is, uh, I think it's the best Randy Newman record. It's kind of hard to tell what's the best Randy Newman record. For me, the first one, but yeah. The first one? Sail Away, Sail Away, which was the second, I guess, the 12th songs, and then Sail Away. I mean, Sail Away, every song is just like. It's amazing, yeah. I I love this one just because thematically it's so deep and. And it has rednecks on it too. And it has rednecks, which I've and, tried. And it has it has Louisiana. Songs you can't play. And it has Louisiana on it. You can't sing along to rednecks. <laughs> yeah. And it has uh, Louisiana on it too, man. I I played rednecks on the first. I, we did an <laughs> episode on protest songs, and I played it. And you know, we had our, our buddy, who's a great music mind, uh, Mike Mike Helliger, and both Brian and him just stared at me like I was like, "What? Well, what's the problem? It's a protest." We almost, song. we almost canceled you over it. That's right. I almost got canceled for playing it. Um, <laughs> But uh, this is an amazing song. There's actually, uh, this song, there's a great Glenn Campbell cover of this on um, his record, uh, Rhinestone Cowboy. Um, and it's, uh, what I love about Randy Newman, which is sort of like why I think he's an outlier for me, is not just because he plays piano or any of that, is that he's actually inverting what I think is the paradigm, where essentially he's never himself. He, he's never personal. Every person that's in the song is never him. It's always a character. And it gets him into a lot of, problems obviously with a song like rednecks which is uh you know if you think that's randy newman singing you're gonna it's gonna you're gonna have a hard time with that one or even something as publicly as his big hit short people you know there were protests around the song that it was offensive and i think i think that sort of is his genius it's like it's never personal therefore it always is personal i guess to me you know i feel like he's able to make these kind of larger statements about the way he sees the world working through these characters i mean and i and i guess the 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 songwriting term is the untrustworthy narrator it's that when you're listening to the guy singing you don't know if you're with this guy or not yeah i mean this album this album is like what a northern western northern guy would do if you let him make a william faulkner uh, a modern william faulkner novel uh in song right i mean that's what's going on in this album and um I love the call. I mean, I love that call of Randy Newman. He's he's to me one of the great giants, the greatest who ever wrote a song. Do you, do you hold him in that category to you? Like, oh that, yeah, at the very very top for me. Because yes, for me, really, like, I ha- he's definitely in my tier. Like, and it's funny. I there's you know there's a great. I'm sure you've read it, but there's an incredible two series books by Paul Zalo called Songwriters and Songwriting, and you know that just very much how when they asked Paul McCartney who's the greatest songwriter alive, he says I don't know. Ask Neil Finn. When they asked Bob Dylan who can write songs, he's like. Randy Newman can write a song, mm. you know. Not uh, a bad so, cosign. Yeah, yeah. I, I, pick, I put Randy Newman in the very highest. I mean, in terms of people whose 
records I've been listening to nonstop since the first time. They also age really incredibly well. You know, they, they are like, they're just timeless. They're like in- Brian, do you get it? Do you get Randy Newman or do you not get it? I, I, do, I, I don't not get it, but I don't, li I'm also uninitiated. So I- you That's know, fair. Yeah, great. I barely, you know, I know, I know Toy Story soundtrack and I know- <laughs> Great song. Uh, <laughs> well, like Sail Away, if you go listen to Sail Away, yeah. which is yeah. the song from the perspective of a slave boat captain. And oh, wow. he put that out like in 19. Did he have a better take on it than the Rolling Stones? Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Which is the Rolling Stones song with the that? Brown Sugar. Oh, is that right? Of course. Yes, you'll like his take on it much better. He reveals, <laughs> well, as opposed to being, uh, yes, Randy Newman's lets you completely inside the psyche of how this guy thought about the slaves and what he thought would work to tell them and how he didn't think of them as human beings at all. And it is, but he sings it with glee in his voice. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. Like God's song, which is from the perspective of God, yeah, just, just doing horrible shit to humans. Mm. Um, and talking about the core refrain is, that's why I love mankind, mm -hmm. because they'll love me even as I smite them. Right. And uh, which is kind of how I am toward Julian. Much and, like right. compliment so, on this podcast, as, he, as, he as smites he said, me, I still love him. Yeah, Brian, the songs are dumb. I'll happily make you a playlist if you Please want. Do, I'm so yeah. glad to see that on your list, Julian. But I can make you a playlist of 10 Randy Newman songs. You'd be like, holy shit. Well, yeah, I, I, mean, I, also, I love that, like, I feel like his music is sort of beyond reproach in a way. Like, it's like, I just don't know. It, it's so, the construction is so incredibly. Yeah, Cut like, like a knife's edge, man. Yeah, I agree. It, and it's like, he's like, it's like watching a, and that's, and I feel the same way with musical theater in a lot of ways about like Sondheim. It's that, He's, you know, he doesn't have the same free hand as Dylan. He's not this like deeply inspired wild man who can kind of just with sheer talent navigate all these. It's like these songs are these incredibly well-made songs that are inscrutable. Like there's really nothing. You might say you don't like them, but you can't say that's a bad song. The guy just doesn't write bad songs. And, and then when you read about his approach, you understand why. Because literally he's like, I write songs. 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. every day, five days a week for 40 years. That's what I do, unless I get hired to do a movie score. <laughs> That's bonkers. And um, the, by the funniest part about him is that he's also kind of hilariously bitter, which is the funniest <laughs> part. Like, if you read interviews with him, he doesn't understand why. He's like, dude, and like he says it straight up in interviews, like, I'm as good as Neil Young or Joni Mitchell, but no one gives me the love. <laughs> and I love it. I'm like, it's kind of when I read Billy Joel interviews, I'm like, this dude, like you're Randy Newman. Saint, bro. Yeah, exactly. I'm so glad Neil Young's name came up on this podcast today. Yes. Because his music has really kept me company during oh, really? uh, COVID a lot. I've been listening to a ton which, of which Neil. Stuff? Which records? Really, uh, Russ Never Sleeps. Yeah, I've sure. just been listening to Russ Never Sleeps. Uh, oh, especially the last two months, I would say. In the last month, I've been listening to Russ Never Sleeps like every time I get in the car. Um, <laughs> along with... Uh, uh, Laura Jane Grace's music, which is not really singer-songwriter music, which is against me, you know, that that band. Um, but I've been listening to just a ton of Neil Young. I don't know why. Uh, and and again, right with Randy Newman and Bob and Paul Simon, I think you got to put Neil Young somewhere up there. All right, we're moving on to our final category, which is, this is it. This is the big enchilada. I feel like the pressure has been building in the room, right? Clearly there's like stuff being thrown around. It's like, this is like a cage match, but this is where it's going to go down. We are going to talk about the goats of the singer-songwriter genre. We're going to lead off with Brian Koppelman's pick. Now, again, one of the rules of the podcast is that we can't double up on artists. So 
I've, I, I, I kindly allowed Mr. Compliment because of his incredible just understanding and vocabulary to, uh, to explain why this is. Would you have pitched, would you have picked a different Dylan song? What Dylan song would you have picked? See, I, where are you at with later Dylan? Well, first of all, let's play the tune. And then I love a lot of later Dylan, uh, like not dark yet. Is that where you were going to go? But uh, I, I would, to me, that level, that, that era of Dylan and those songs to me are, have a level of sophistication that is beyond anything I think I've ever, it's some of the greatest songwriting I've ever heard. Yeah. But I mean, I think you can't, I mean, to me, the other choices were things off of blood on the tracks probably, but then, yeah, I know mercy to me too, but, but this song is. No. Is and, and I'm not going to argue that this is not a, this is a straight up song display of songwriting virtuosity that can. Uh, bit of, take a trip in the hobo car, shall we? <laughs> I mean, let's let this bass guitar come in, though. Ain't it just like the, yeah, the groove on this song is just amazing. Quiet. Very Jewish. One of the most famous uh, bass figures. I, when I was in college, Brian, my nickname was Jules and Binoculars. I love it. They, yeah. that, was, that was the, you so know. Th this is Visions of Johanna, and one of the great things about Bob Dylan and about this song you to nobody really knows who he's singing about, but everybody knows what this feels like. Everybody knows what it feels like to be in a room with the wrong music playing and the wrong significant other when the one you want to be with is somewhere else. And but there's nothing really nothing to turn on. One of the incredible things about Dylan is his capacity for tremendous empathy and also bitter meanness at the same time. He uh, is a Nobel Prize winner for a reason. He write the Nobel Prize in, in poetry for a reason. And it's because his facility with words is really um, unmatched. It is, he is able to convey emotion uh, and ideas in an economical way that just has the ability to crush you. And um, this song, I remember the first time I heard it, I was in college. It was, uh, and I had just, I like you, Brian, when I was young, I was like, ah, don't give me that Bob Dylan bullshit. I was like, at 18, when older people would tell me Bob Dylan, I was like, I, that voice is totally annoying. And then I like went through as, as often, you know, go through a bad breakup and suddenly you're willing to try a bunch of different oh, stuff. Yeah. And I, oh yeah, my musical taste started shifting and I started listening to some Dylan, someone gave me a record. But when I heard Vision Johanna, I was like, what? This guy knows everything. Mm -hmm. And this melody is, uh, to me, just reveals itself the more you listen to it. And this groove and this sense of longing and this sense of self-hatred for being caught in this situation. And recognizing the gap between who you hope you could be and, and who you are. Um, and uh, and we use this song on Billions uh, in one of the crucial episodes of the series. And uh, it was, we've used a Dylan song in every season of the show and we always will use one Dylan song. You in must have a very, a very uh, understanding and generous support with your music. Oh, they yes. work with us um, on the thing and, and, and the, the Dylan camp has always been really cool oh, about the show. And, um, but yes, we also, music's always been a really important part of the show. So from the beginning, we sort of told Showtime, look, this is, this is how we're going to use music. And they were, they, that's just part of the budget of the show. We, right. we know going into right. what we're, we're going to do. But uh, 
but for me, Visions of Johanna is the kind of song people be listening to forever and ever. And um, it is, uh, it, it's such a safe pick in a weird way. I mean, but the category is the greatest of all time. And, and you know, anytime people are asked, what's the greatest singer songwriter album of all time? I mean, you know, Blonde on Blonde is like pretty much the answer you get. And I actually rock with that album. And well, then this is the and this is the best song on it. So I have a question um, about Dylan. And yes. and I've I've posed this to Julian before, but maybe you can give me a better. Can answer we just like do this part of the podcast for an hour and a half? But I just anyway, I just we won't do it. But like I'm ready. I'm fucking. <laughs> well, if you guys want to do a whole Dylan episode at some point, just I'll come on and we'll do it. We'll like, just do, we'll just, we'll just record. Year. I mean, I'll broadcast yeah, live. I'll live stream the Dylan. Okay, go, Brian. Go. go. So here's What's my question, question, and I'll preface it with a with a statement. I say I say this to Julian sometimes, chiding him. But also, I'm I'm half serious that a a person like Bob Dylan, who is so exalted as like the greatest or one of the greatest uh, songwriters of all time, I say for someone um, that revered for songwriting, he seems to have a take it or leave it relationship with melody, and he exemplifies it on on this album a lot. With he's doing that thing where he kind of just throws away uh, lines all the time. Where I'm like like a song like Stuck Inside a Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. I'm like, what do you think? Do do you think he actually wrote out a melody for it and then decided to like sing it however he wanted to sing it? Or is there like an actual melody hidden in like, to be stuck inside a mobile with the Memphis Blues again? It, is it supposed to be talked? Like a, just a, a, a well, there a, is a tradition a of talking thing. blues, right? There is a tradition of talking country sure. blues, like the talking blues. And so some of it was that, but but to me, so this is where people like Julian and I disagree with you, which is vehemently. I think that Dylan is one of the great melodists ever. And I will, again, like I could show you really easily. Well, Visions Johanna is a perfect example of it. Yeah. That is it. And, and also the other way, you know, is by listening. If you don't like Dylan's voice, He's the most covered artist of all time, right? So sure. you can find well, So that's the versions. question. So, so if I was going to cover that song, how would I sing it? Would I sing to be stuck inside a mobile with the Memphis Blues? Again? I mean, you or, might or, decide to sing it that way, but uh, but but what I'm saying is you can find versions of his songs that reveal the melodies, I think, in different right. um in different ways. Plus, go listen to every grain of sand or something. I mean, there are so many songs where he is able to lay into the melody. But yeah, Stuck Inside a Mobile is a different thing, right? He's trying to communicate a kind of urgency. I mean, that's a song about wishing he could get the fuck out of there and be somewhere else. And so it makes a lot of sense that he's fucking singing it that way. I think it conveys the point. So Brian nailed it. Brian Koppelman nailed it. And this is why, right? Because Dylan makes these incredibly couture personal suits that fit everybody. And that is why he's the greatest songwriter of the 20th century in terms of modern pop music. Anyone can wear a Dylan song. And yes, you could argue that compositionally, maybe Paul McCartney's melodies have more definition or, you know, you can get into it. But Dylan's songs are there. They are the, the epitome of a singer songwriter thing. They're highly personal, but incredibly universal. And I think that is a very unique quality that he alone possesses where like a Dylan suit is a suit that, Mavis Staples can wear. It's a suit that Tina Turner can wear. It's a suit that Lou Rawls can wear. It's a suit that Towns Van Zandt can wear. It literally is a suit that anybody can wear. And he has figured out a way to boil songwriting down to an essence where melodically, like 
it's it's he's the to me he is the true sum of the parts where it's like the song is being communicated and it's being communicated through the melody through the lyric through the chord progression through the phrasing through the whole thing and it's being communicated to the way that the point of the song even when it's interpreted does not dull like it doesn't matter who sings it that's why he's so great because the song resonates and that's to me he has somehow caught that elusive quality where it's beyond composition it's like a it's like a, a tale or, a, you know, it's like a bard in, in the truest sense. It's like an oral tradition. And then when the next person sings it, they put their own spin on it, but it's still a Bob Dylan song. You know, and I think that is. I mean, look, yeah, look at Hey Mr. Tambourine Man, which, which Brian, you might feel like is not a great melody when Bob sings it. But man, when Roger McGuinn sings it, it's certainly the melody jumps off, jumps sure. off the turntable. And I think well, speaking specifically of what he's doing on Blonde on Blonde a lot. Sure. I think he's doing, sure. he's doing that a lot. Oh, well, I think the worst song he ever recorded is the first song in that record, which has no melody. Everybody the worst. Gets the worst. Rainy Day Women. Rainy Day Women. I mean, I agree. That's the Dylan. I mean, that is in a weird way what everyone latched on right. to to do the impression. Right, and I, right. for me, I can't listen to it. I skip that song and then I just play Blonde <laughs> on Blonde from there. <laughs> I love that. You're just like, I do. Blonde Blonde's the greatest record if you just get rid of the first song. You got to get rid of Rainy Day Women. First song I mean, that is so up. much, well, that's the rare Dylan thing. There's just so much of its time when getting stoned was some like big act of rebellion. So right. I understand it, but it just doesn't right. track for and, me anymore. And to, sure. and to me, where I find it deeply inspirational. So we have recounted this story pretty much on every podcast we've ever done, how I <laughs> was trying to argue with Brian about how black and brown people listen to Bob Dylan. And he was like, get the fuck out of here. And I was like, I'm going to buy a ticket to see Dylan at the beacon and we're going to go. And he says, I'm going to be the only sure brown or black person there. Sure enough, outside of the ushers, he was the only brown <laughs> or black person. There was an Israeli guy. There was an Israeli guy about three rows in front. But, I, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to defend where, like though I was at one of those beacon shows and, and like, you had to be a fanatic. <laughs> well, well this, so this is the point. Exactly. Like you had to be a and, fanatic. And he, and that, was, and that was, that was a tough, that was a tough sit through. He, he's sitting. I there. understand. I mean, I made it through the whole thing because there were these. I know the songs so well. Right. Yes, for, dude, of course. I mean, so I'm like you, I'm, I'm there. I'm like, this is, he's a, not doing this for that. I mean, that's not what, this but, is about but at to, all to this idea of like and also to the idea of like artistry and vulnerability like look at this guy he i respected i respected that he was doing whatever the hell he's he wanted nothing to, do. to prove to anybody and the band is really good charlie sexton's a really good player i just wish they'd muted the piano. i wish they would let, let them play <laughs> yes. i wish they would have muted bob's piano like, one song you got off the piano is like thank god oh my god yes. here we go right, what are what are your guys's uh yes, sorry songs. continuing we're going all right we're going on on our dylan tirade here we go uh this is brian's goat right here Interesting. Gotta wait for the vocal setup here. You got to. Maybe I'm the lateness of the hour. I was debating whether to use this version or the live at Carnegie Hall. Makes me seem bluer than I am. Brian, who are we listen to? But in my heart, there's a shower. Jim Harrison Withers Jr. I just learned that right this instant. That's his middle name. Bill Withers, the pride of Slab Fork, West Virginia. And the song is Hope She'll Be Happier from uh, his debut album. 
just as I am. I agonized over who was going to be my goat of this. And I, I mean, I think I often agonize sometimes when I, when I, when I get into these genres that I so lovingly refer to as white shit. <laughs> where I'm like, am I just going to try to meet the genre where, 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 where it's at, or, 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 or is it my duty as the lone brown person here to say, wait, 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 <laughs> what about this guy here? You know. Uh, luckily, with a dude like Bill Withers, I don't have to, you know, this is, he's that good. And uh, uh, I just, you know, this is a guy that I listen to all the time. You know, I pull this album out all day. I think the songs are incredible. I think he's, if you're talking about a singer songwriter, right? Like, like you were saying, a, you know, a troubadour, you know, somebody, the essence of it is, 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 legitimacy or the honesty that comes apart, comes out in the compositions, whether they're singing about themselves or whether they're telling a story or whatever, you know, and this is a guy that I just feel like there's zero pretense to him. He's just trying to come in here with some highfalutin shit, be it compositionally or be it lyrically, but there's a level of poetry in the simplicity of his lyric, you know, and honesty that I just think every single person hears that and is just like, mm. That's some real shit, you know, and a song like this, I hope she'll be happier. I listen to that song and I just get brought to tears on the right day, you know? Well, there's something interesting in Bill Withers where I don't, I actually don't, I think you are at, correct to, to kind of call him a singer-songwriter because like he's not, I wouldn't say he's soul music, right? Like, would you say you know, like, I mean, like in the most generic? Bill Withers is the blues, I've, right? Like, sure. And he gets you know, played on like, he does soul. get played on soul, like on serious radio, they'll play him sure. on those stations. Right. But, but but yes, I have no problem with your pick, Brian. I think it's a brilliant pick. Bill Withers, man, anyone who's watched that documentary, that is a singer-songwriter story. Oof. That guy is a singer-songwriter. Yeah. He has an idea, he expresses it, his pain, his love, the way he sees the world, how he processes it. He just happens to right. write incredible grooves too. I mean, I, man, Bill Withers I, is amazing. I'm so glad you picked him. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing. That's the thing about a singer-songwriter is it's like he's like every day it's, he's churning out songs. I got a song idea. I got a song idea. I got a song idea. Whereas you know we we talked about somebody like a Stevie Wonder or a Prince, and it's like they do all these other things. You know, Bill's like, I got this guitar. Let me play you my song. You know what I mean? And you know, Prince is like, let me show you this crazy drum programming and production that I got, and I can do all this, and I'll write this amazing song over it. But you know, that's why I think Bill is is of this genre for sure, as where somebody like Stevie and, and, and Prince wouldn't be. And also, you know, his story too, the fact that like, you know, he basically was an airline, an airplane mechanic until like his, you know, earlier mid thirties, which is totally like, you grown, know. Right, he was a grown man. Right, not a pop star, not unbelievable. A, just like I have, you know, I have a story to tell. Um, and uh, what's my favorite jam? I love uh, that song. Uh, I want to spend the night together. Oh, yeah, that's great. But that tune is incredible. And that's a great song where I feel like the lyric. I want to spend the night with you forever. Forever. Every, well, time right, we, like, that's... every time we wind up spending the night together. Like that that's, lyric is that's beautiful, right? That's, yeah, that's but it's cool. also like he's there's incredible. so much depth there is like he, you know, he's this girl he's chasing. He's just like every time he manages to get her in bed, he just wants to stay. It's like there's so much depth and there's so many different levels of perception that are going on with that song. Um, and the vulnerability right. of the do, do you ever feel it line, you know? Yes. Yeah. Oh, the best. Um, all right. Well, I am going to uh, play my goat pick here, um, which is I think not only is this a song that I think if I had to was forced to basically not 
include Bob Dylan. Like if I was forced, if you were like, you can't use Dylan, he's not the greatest songwriter of all time. And this version in particular kind of just always does my head in. And ice cream castles in the air. Speaking of shit that will make me cry. No, man, I can't, I can't listen to this song all the way. I'm going to fucking lose it. Uh, we are listening to the goddess, uh, Queen Joni Mitchell. Uh, this is uh, from her record, Both Sides Now, from 2000. Obviously... This song is on Clouds, I think, originally. So many things and I would have done. The layers of this this song is so deep. It's just but clouds if there is a song, this might be better than any Dylan song. It, it, I could argue that. <laughs> um, just the fact that this is her version of this 30 plus years on where you hear the voice and you hear the age and you hear how the entire song is about looking at things from different perspectives and to hear an older woman sing this after hearing what she sounded like when she was younger singing this it's it's heartbreaking and unbelievable um and i just can't even believe that like a you know i don't even know when she wrote this 22 or something i mean it's bonkers oh god um brian cobham where are you at with Joni mitchell i mean there's just basically one person ever better uh, I think and that's what really. I so, you, do you think you 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 put you go Dylan one, Joni two in terms of your probably your, at their very at their best because sure. um, I mean I put Paul Simon and Lou Reed Lou Reed up there too. Like there are, are a handful of these people, right? But at any moment it goes Dylan, and at any moment Joe. But Joni is as close to right there. I mean that's a song like I could have played. That's a song with Blowing in the Wind, where you cannot believe a human being. Correct pulled that like a human being wrote that song she wrote both sides now it's like a human being like picked up a guitar had that That idea until she did that right and chased that idea down in a way that and 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 then that same person writes carrie like that's how how is that same human being able to do that and that a free man in paris I mean, what the fuck? Like, how does somebody do what she does? And and it's crazy to me that somebody's that great. At and some, I think I, the argument, the argument that you could make if you're like, hey, I think that this terms of a singer songwriter, why am I classified Joni Mitchell? I do think Joni Mitchell's music is more personal than Bob Dylan's music. I think, I think sure. there is a but, level of mystery and anonymity to Bob's stuff that sort of adds to its power. But like Joni's music is incredibly specific. Yeah, but dude, I mean, I could just say a few I, words to you, like blowing in the wind and like yeah, a rolling stone and there's no, nothing I know, you can I say know. back. It's like, that's why Bob is Bob. But Joni Mitchell's like the, I, like literally, I think of everyone who ever picked up a guitar, you're talking about one of the three or four. Sure. A lot, by the way, Prince is in that conversation too. We just decided he's not a singer songwriter, right. but- I mean, I spent a lot of years and a lot of hours trying to understand how it was possible that somebody could write, how come you don't call me anymore? Right. And also write Purple Rain. Like, what the fuck is that about? Like, right. it just makes no sense, right? Sometimes it snows in April, right? Right. I mean, how, but I mean, how, can, how come you don't call me anymore just have never existed? And then that guy fucking sits down at a piano one night. And, the, and really put it out as a B-side. That wasn't even, you know, that wasn't- Yeah, Stephanie album. Mills goes and sings it or whatever yeah. later, right? I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but- but Joni, I agree, Julian, I, I have no, I think all three of these goat picks are 
in the conversation for yeah, the greatest. And, and, and Joni, I, I don't know, like there's just something about that song, like, and, and you know, like I'm not about to front on Blown on the Wind. The man just sold all his songs for $300 million. And here I am with my podcast with dozens, multiple dozens of listeners. So like, obviously, I'm, but you could make an argument that Blown in the Wind, there's like a, you know, the power lies in its sort of the, the, the general, like it's an anthem. It's an anthem. And there's something about both sides now that is so incredibly specific, but yet so it's yeah, like, it's bonkers. Sure. And I listen to it and I'm like, it's, it's almost like reading a, you know, like a, a Yates poem or Robert. No, it's Paul. Michelangelo. It's Michelangelo. It's that, it's, it's that it level is. It's of Michelangelo. like. It's Michelangelo. It's insane. It's totally insane. I, I, uh, that a human being that didn't exist and a human being did a thing and suddenly that exists is, is absolutely mind boggling to think about. And that's the great, amazing thing about songs. Right. Uh, that they just come from the air somehow. And they, you know, I mean, born to run didn't exist and then it existed. Like that shit's insane to me. We have John Landau to thank for that. No. Um, anyway, Ryan Koppelman, we have exceeded your time limit. You have completed the podcast. I like, I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to like have someone who is like as erudite and like, Thanks. you're a great person to talk to music about. Like you're great to talk to a lot of things about, but this is like, it's, it's so fun to get to mix it up with you on this stuff. And you're both awesome and great picks. Um, and, and, uh, and the passion you both have for this and how thoughtful you are about it made this really rewarding for me to do too. So thanks for including me in, in your world. This was really fun. We appreciate it. And please, if you, if you, if you aren't checking it out, subscribe to Brian's podcast, the moment, uh, there's, you know, he's got a great interview with Elvis, Elvis Costello up there right now among a million other people and check it out. Uh, thank you. Brian. Thanks fellas. We'll appreciate see you. This is really thanks, fun. Brian. Take care. Bye.